Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Losing the Plot. I'm Leo Robertson. I find artists of all varieties I find interesting. They're usually writers, they don't have to be. And uh, we talk about their work, we talk about life, we talk about anything and everything. We lose the plot together, hence the title of the show. As always, we start with the latest of what's going on over at Aphotic Realm. Uh, issue number seven is out now, it's gruesome. Who doesn't love over-the-top 80s horror films? A punk band fights off a horde of possessed fans at a local concert. A makeout session at the cemetery takes a turn for the worst. Slashers, critters, demons, gore, hairspray. The 80s horror B-movie aesthetic is what issue 7 gruesome is all about, so do check that out. The Realm also has its own merch store right on the Aphotic Realm site itself. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, beanies, caps and tank tops. And if you check out the new Aphotic Realm Instagram, you can see yours truly sporting an Aphotic Realm t-shirt uh, in the dark grey heather colour. I think it's great. And uh, there's loads of cool other merch. I'm sure I will get other stuff too. And uh, I hope you will as well. Please do check out the merch in the store. Finally, I hope you will consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to podcast episodes such as this one. Um, you can also uh, get digital downloads of all Aphotic books as well. So do check that out. Please consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon also. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo. This episode, our guest is India Laplace. She is the author most recently of the poetry collection Sad Discoveries, which is out now with Analog Submission Press. So do check that out and I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm glad we're finally chatting. Uh, no, it took long <laughs> So how's your weekend going? It's nine in the morning. You've been up for four hours? Yeah, I've been up since like five. How come you have to get up so early? Um, I'm just a crazy person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I like being up early in the morning. Mm -hmm. It was summer recently. Did you go anywhere cool? I know you've been... Was Japan the last place you went? Um, Japan... I was in Japan last October. I was just barely on the East Coast in like Maryland and New York City. I got back on Tuesday night, but yeah, Japan was the last big trip that I took. You, you were traveling. Yeah, no, that's why I ask, is that I got back from Japan like a week ago. So I was there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I was in um, Tokyo and then in Osaka where my brother lives. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I don't know if I would have the the confidence to go out there myself if I didn't know that he was there. Because he obviously... Yeah. yeah. I loved it out there mm -hmm. and we um I went with Arthur and we backpacked so we just had like one bag each mm -hmm. and um 
So, and we stayed in hostels. We didn't really have like where we were staying planned. So we ended up going to like, like eight or nine different cities, which was cool. Wow. Yeah, it was nice. You went out there without knowing where you were going to stay. We had, we had like a place booked for the first night in Tokyo. And then we went to Kyoto and it was going to be on a weekend. Mm-hmm. And so we had a place booked there just because we knew it would be really busy and crowded. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we didn't have anything booked. We just sort of like went as we go, <clears throat> as we went, we just uh, booked different hostels and stuff like that. Wow, that's crazy. Is that how you typically do a holiday? That's what I like to do. <laughs> not, I guess not always, but I think it's fun. And then it kind of leaves it open so that you can do whatever you want or like go to whatever city you want to go to. Mm-hmm. And you were there on like some Horrishley's trash related business as well, right? Well, we ended up there. There was a photographer in Australia who had worked with uh, Ben in the past or sent Ben stuff in the past. Mm-hmm. And that we had reconnected with. And he had sent us a photo shoot he did of this Japanese girl named Billy when she was living out there. But she just happened to be in Japan at the same time as us. And so we met up to do like a photo shoot with her and hang out and stuff. So it ended up working out, which it was really cool to meet her. That's awesome. Are you typically involved in the shoots for the for the poetry books? Um, sometimes I, um, I reach out to a lot of people just because I run the social media. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I end up connecting with a lot of different girls who model or like girls will reach out to me and say that they're interested in it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So, and usually I'm there. It just, it can depend on the shoe. It depends on like our last cover girl. She lives in um ohio and so she took her photos and sent them to us but i like to be involved in them mm-hmm. and it's always like easier for a cute young girl to like reach out to another girl and be like do you want to pose half naked than it is for like an older guy to do that <laughs> yeah of course uh i run this like i've got this like poetry blog and i think you're really beautiful uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. I heard that one before, mate. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can hear, but it started like proper raining down here in Stavanger. And um, I've got this angled roof like right above where I record my podcast. So it's just battering down. It's going to give a nice bit of character to the interview, I think. <laughs> oh, good. I can't hear it, but it's cool. Okay, cool. I wish it would just rain here. It's so hot in Utah. Tell me about Utah. You've always lived there. I was born and raised here, and then I I got married when I was 17 to mm-hmm. a soldier, and so we lived in Alabama and spent most of our weekends up in Tennessee, and then he was stationed in South Korea for a year and a half or two years, so I moved out there with him, Wow! and then we moved to Texas after that, which is when we ended up splitting up, mm. and I came back home. Did that, uh, did your time in South Korea, did that help you become adventurous in your holidays? Um, probably it like moving so much, definitely. Like I got bit by like a travel bug. Like it's my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. That's like, I'll work my ass off all year just so that I can travel. But yeah. So, okay. So you got married when you were 
17 was that is that i get the impression i think from some of the poems in your book that that's a typical thing to do for the people where you live it's not totally i mean there's a lot of mormons out here Mm -hmm. and so people end up getting into relationships and having a lot of kids really young um but 17 was a little abnormal but i i was pregnant and both our families were religious so there was a lot of pressure from family to do that. Mm -hmm. That's intense. I suppose that's just, uh, but that that's like the normality for you and the people around you. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff happens out here and there's a lot of religious pressure. Mm -hmm. This is a strange question, but like how, how do, how do people in that, like with that kind of mentality in that kind of culture, how do they respond to what's going on in the rest of the world? And they see, I mean, progress is being made and things are kind of relaxing in that respect globally, it seems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that influence people with those mindsets? Um, Mormons have this tendency to sort of be like, if it's bad, why would we talk about it? And if it's good, like, or if it's good, why would we talk about it? And if it's bad, pretend it's good. It's not everyone, but for the most part, they're very conservative um, and very like, but yeah, they just sort of pretend everything is good. Mm -hmm. And like, like my parents are still very religious. And for them, it's like, they get caught up in the whole abortion stuff and they're like, well, vote for whoever doesn't believe in abortion and they don't care about the rest of it. Hmm. Just think like God will punish them if they don't mm -hmm. vote that way. Hmm, that's wild. But what's your, what's your relationship like with your family now? Um, I have, so I was adopted by my grandparents when I was like 12. Mm -hmm. And so they raised me to get along with my grandfather I've never gotten along with my grandmother but I have issues with mother figures I think right where does that do you know where that comes from um I think just the way that women interacted with me when I was a little kid because my my grandmother was my mom was always in and out like she would be gone for six months and then she'd show back up and pretend she was a good mom like if I wasn't wearing clothes that were considered modest, like in the Mormon church, she would like, she and the other female relatives would like insult me and call me horrible names. And I was like 11 years old. <laughs> and so it was like, it was a very inappropriate way to talk to like a kid who's developing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I just think I like grew up feeling like they would like, turn on you or treat you badly for not doing what they thought was right. Hmm. Has anything, has anything specific kept you in Utah? Um, not, I mean, for a long time, for a long time, it was just family. I moved back after my divorce because my mom or my grandmother had another stroke and my dad needed help because my sisters were still teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, and then I have, I wanted to leave just because like I said, moving around was something I really liked in the military. Mm -hmm. So I've wanted to leave and then stuff always comes up. Like 
uh, I was dating this girl for like three years and I met Arthur while I was dating her and Arthur and I always kind of had an open thing. So it was like connections that kind of kept me here, but I like have always planned on leaving. I mean, moving costs a lot of money too. So there is that. Yeah, it really does. Um, and it's not, it's not the perfect solution. I mean, there are people everywhere. You still have to deal with yeah. those. <laughs> exactly. It might be easier, like, if I didn't have a kid to think about, too, because it's like I need to have a job. I need to know neighborhoods that are safe and school systems and stuff. So that definitely factors it. And then she, on the opposite end, my daughter is always like, let's live in a bus. Like, she, like, has no, <laughs> she's like, I'll do whatever. I don't need to How did having a kid change the way that you looked on the way you were raised? Um, I feel like I basically looked at all of the parental figures in my life and I was like, this is like, they, they taught me how I didn't want to be as a parent. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize I had more issues from my childhood than I thought I did in the past. It's like more stuff to work through Mm -hmm. and where it came from. I mean, Knowing what you don't want is a is a great start, you know. I, I think it's um, I think it's often more important. It's just about all I really learn is I'm not doing that again, you know. I don't really exactly, know exactly. Yeah, I don't really know what comes next. Unhealthy cycle. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't really know what comes next, but it's not that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's about as far as I've really gotten in terms of navigation. But um, I mean, one of the. One of the topics of your poems, I think, is well. It's like you, you, you have mental health struggles, and sometimes your daughter sees that. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always had depression, or like, I guess probably not always, but I was diagnosed with at a really young age. It was so like tumultuous that I'm not surprised as mm-hmm. an adult. And yeah, and she sees that, but I've also always been very straightforward about it with her Mm -hmm. just because I don't want it to be like this big taboo thing. Cause I remember being young and thinking like, if anyone knows I have depression or if any, or if I have to go to therapy, it means I'm crazy. And if I'm crazy, no one will love me. Mm. And I don't want like her to make a connection like that in her brain. Cause that's just like, not true. Mm. But kids get caught up in weird ideas. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's still the case worldwide. I think. I mean, uh, I don't know. Men especially have almost like a lot of men have kind of cartoonishly dumb ideas about therapy and mental health. It seems it's like. Oh, I know. I have friends who have boyfriends that like. Like I have this close friend who has anxiety. And so every off, so often she'll take Xanax and he'll go off about how she's weak minded mm. and how and all this stuff and it's like I bet that helps, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I tell her. No, it's but yeah. I'd be critical of that sort of behavior. I don't know anyone whose life would not be improved by therapy. Really, it's just going in and chatting to somebody about what's going on in your life, and then making a plan to make it better like that's it. I agree with that especially because somebody who's not like a an unbiased third party 
mm-hmm. is going to give you a better perspective than someone who's trying not to hurt your feelings or someone who's judging you based on their own stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Somebody who has their own agenda or somebody who doesn't want you to succeed because they don't want themselves to succeed and they're modeling their life on you. Like it's not, um, things get weird. And I think, yeah, I think it's really, I talk about this of course, cause I've, I've started going because of all kinds of crap going on in my own life. And I think it's just really useful to have somebody you've never met before say, yes, I totally agree with your, your, your perspective yeah. on what's just happened. Hmm. It makes such a difference. I've been in and out of therapy my whole life, but, um, but yeah, it's always made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Do you still find, I mean, th- this is something I really struggle with as well, because I'm now 13. Most of the people I know are in their thirties. And sometimes mm-hmm. you hear like, Oh, I'm sorry. I acted like that. Like my parents, when I was young, blah, blah, blah. Or they say I was like bullied in high school or something like that. And I find it really, uh, I find it really difficult to be empathetic towards things like that around people my age. Cause I feel like at some point you just have to drop it. And I know that that's silly because you can't really, um, yeah. I agree. I think it's important to identify where certain behaviors are coming from, but I think that whatever form that takes it, at some point, it's like nobody else owes you anything mm-hmm. and like being, having struggles or having been bullied or growing up in a bad environment, it like, it's not an excuse to treat the other people around you poorly. Mm-hmm. So I have very little empathy for that as well. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, yeah. If you've worked it out and you're a grown adult, what's you're the missing part of that equation, really? I think so. God, I don't know. It's it's tough. Um in the in this collection, Sad Discoveries, you also um talk a little bit about your perspective on marriage. Yes. Is it something you'll you'll never do again? Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine just because I had such a bad experience, but then it's like you never know who you're gonna meet or how you're gonna connect. So I'm like I'm more open to it than I used to be when I was even just like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would do it again, but I also wouldn't be unhappy if I never got married again Mm -hmm. so it's not like a goal but I'm more open to it yeah but I mean you definitely seem like a person who is I don't know defining their own goals and own perspective of success I definitely try to Mm -hmm. because I mean it's it's such a perpetual trap that I see other people my age falling into where they're like well I got I gotta marry someone you know it's like no you don't I know that's crazy yeah I like I don't know I imagine like getting married to someone just to get married but even I know people like that who it like it looks good on Instagram so they want to get married and have babies yeah which is insane to me it's absolutely I just, wild. I hope hmm. their children are really hard. Like, I hope they're really tough newborns. <laughs> have some kind of reality. 
make them work for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean it's it's almost a cliche to talk about like the the pressure of social media and everything, but it's I don't know how to make it. You know, it is so strange. Like a photo website is is literally deciding people's entire lives. Like where they're going to go on holiday, who they're going to hang out with, and I know it's crazy what they do. It, it, it's so crazy. It's and like, so strange. Yeah, I have friends who it's a big deal to them, and like they they'll take the same picture over and over again till it's perfect just to mm-hmm. post it. I don't know. And I read something recent, not recently, but maybe about six months ago, mm-hmm. that talked about how. Um, girls who got smartphones before they were like 15 years old like in high school dealt with longer ongoing issues with anxiety and depression into their adult lives versus girls who waited Mm -hmm. so my daughter has a phone but I don't let her it's a little flip phone and I don't let her get on social media Mm -hmm. but I guess it makes sense I it like and it was specifically for like women are affected by it I guess because is actor bully each other when they're young in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it th- was interesting that it's affecting this whole different generation too. Yeah, um, I mean, in my age, it was like MSN, like the instant messaging thing, and I think that was still that was still pretty intense. You're like, oh my god, the most popular kid in school is logged on. I'm gonna stay here an extra few hours, see if they talk to me. <laughs> Yeah, so, I remember that. And that was that seems vaguely innocent compared to what's going on now. Um, I know, it really does. Because nobody ever logs off. It's just always there. I know, it's true. When I travel, I like I turn off all my notifications and I try not to be on it. Mm-hmm. But it's like even that's hard. When I was in Japan last year, we were in Kobe on like our fourth night there. Mm-hmm. And I dropped my phone in the bathtub uh-huh. and it was like, so it just, it broke. I didn't have it for the rest of the trip. And it was probably the first time I've been that disconnected mm-hmm. since I got a smartphone. And like, I don't care that much. It was like a struggle to not be on Instagram, which is really lame. <laughs> when did you start writing poetry? When I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I mean, I always wrote little stories and little poems when I was like a little younger kid too, mm-hmm. but my parents were really critical of it. And so I kind of had to hide it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, and then I, I was a teenager and I got all angsty and <laughs> started writing all this depressed poetry. <laughs> And just, but it was a great outlet. Mm-hmm. And so you just kept up writing it? Yeah. Yeah, I always kept up writing it. I wrote a lot um, while I was married because I was really down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had periods of time where I don't write as much. And I used to have this perspective where I was like, I can't write if I'm not inspired. And now it's like, no, I need to set aside time and make myself right or else my brain gets out of, not out of the habit, but it's harder to get back into the swing of it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, it's it's taken me a long time to get to the point where 
I just realized that like every day is another opportunity to get a little bit better at this thing that you've you've already decided as your discipline. So just use it, you know. Um, I I think just yeah, exactly. Do something every day. The only day. way you get better at it. Yeah, and the the better you get at it, like the I don't know if the more fun it becomes, or it's just it just keeps getting better. I think the more you do it, and you can't. I think so. You can't exhaust it. There's always more to read. There's always some new idea to write. So um. I yeah. agree, and I feel crazier when I don't write. Like I'm more, I get more down, and I get more like, I'm, I'm like I. It's good I have a kid because I have a lot of like self destructive tendencies, mm-hmm. and I get more into that headspace when I'm not like doing something creative like writing. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, and I'm not really good at any other kind of art, so right. How did you discover that? How did did you did you so you decided poetry was your medium first and then you've tried other different types? Sort of. I mean, I, if I had kept trying other things, maybe I would be good at it, but for me, like I love words mm. and I loved books and reading when I was a kid because everything was so bad that it was the only thing that felt good was reading because mm. it was kind of an escape. And so I just like words were what I always kind of latched on to. I have like I have sisters who do photography and I have sisters who model and paint and draw. And I like the idea of it, but I just have no talent for it. So you come from a creative family? For the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think that um I think that like mental illness and like trauma breeds creativity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I also think you have to like, I mean, I think most people who struggle, whether it's like whether they had a bad childhood or like a bad relationship or whether they have like anxiety or depression or anything like that. I think most people who have something going on in their head would benefit from doing something creative. Like, I think all creative people are a little bit crazy. Oh, I yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree that everyone would benefit from it as well. I think, and I think everyone around them would benefit from them doing that also, because if they're in a better mood, if they're expressing things that other people, you know, like one example is I, I, I there's somebody I got in contact with because there's some new creative pursuit that I'm working on at the moment. And I was asking them for mm-hmm. advice and they said, Ollie, it's so great that you, um, you're starting this new creative venture. I've always wanted to take up tango lessons. So now I'm going to go take up tango lessons. You've inspired me to start something new. Um, I thought that's great. Like that's, that's better than anything I'm about to do that. Like what, like, because that's, it's a more, that's kind of a more direct influence than you often get from a piece of writing anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like, um, I feel like like when people get started, often what they know are like the people with the biggest mainstream success, which is of course the all oh know J.K. Rowling or whatever because she's everywhere. So she's yeah, like yeah. she's what you think of as a writer when in fact she's the last thing you should be thinking of when you think of a writer. Um, oh yeah, I agree. You should just be thinking of um, the benefit that creative pursuit gives you, and as you're saying, if it's something you you're practicing every day it's more about the it's more about the practice it's more about the work itself than the 
the books, but people only see the books, they don't see the practice, but the practice is far more important. And it takes, it's taken me a really long time to work that out. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people who are getting into poetry now, um, not everybody, obviously, but I think a lot of people get into poetry now because they see kind of the success from a select few Instagram poets and stuff. And mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm tortured too. I'm trying <laughs> too. Which is fine and they totally should. But I think that if you get into writing with the idea of being successful, like so few writers are successful. Like I, I, I would go crazy if I didn't write. I don't care about reading my poetry. I don't care about selling it. It's just like a nice bonus if I do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't like to read my poetry. I don't like the performance aspect of any of that. Hmm. I get too nervous. Have you done it before? Um. No, I've just read it to like people, like one-on-one. I've read it to like family or friends. Hmm. And that's fine, but even that, like, it makes me sick to my stomach. I just, I've never liked performing. It's really hard for me. I'm a confident person, but that's just something that I can't handle. <laughs> Interesting. What what about it? What about it make, gives you anxiety? Or... I don't even know what it is. It's just like... It just, it makes me nauseous to think about it. And it's sort of like some of the stuff I write about, even if I read it out loud to myself, it's difficult for me to hear because it's like either something traumatic or something that makes me emotional. And I just don't want to cry in front of a room of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. For sure. It's vulnerable. I can... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I know. I can relate to that. There's, I mean, a, a lot of the times... Uh, I'm writing so that I don't have to think about what happened or have it going around in my head is to get it out and to get it organized. Um, so yeah, the whole point is not to look at it again, really. It's for other people, I suppose. Or it's for no one, you know, but it's just there, at least. Yeah. Hmm. I think you have to, I don't know. For me, it's like I have to write to feel settled in my head. Hmm. But then it's like, I also have to let go when I do put it out there because I like you obviously want people to read it and get it the way you meant for it to be understood yeah but people so rarely do like you kind of have to step back and let people take from it what they take from it and that's that was really hard for me at first like if somebody read a poem I wrote and they got something totally different out of it I wanted to be like no like understand it mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I meant but then it's like it, then you just look like an asshole yeah and for sure it's like it... no the way you thought was wrong mm. yeah I mean there's there's analogies even yeah I, I I completely relate to that and of course like if if they're taking something different from it than your intention it means that you created something with enough layers for people to bring themselves to it which is art really um then it's yeah, no longer just I think you. so too mm-hmm. um but it's also it's like people as well i mean i find that uh you know people are what's great about them is their uniqueness or their unique approach to things but often i find i'm just like no you, you should do it this way this is really going to help you out and then you go but they don't do things that way because they don't want that so you're not really you can't breeze into somebody's life and tell them how to 
how to do it, even though from your perspective, it would look like if they just followed the way you had it in mind, their life would be better. It's like you don't even know that because you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, often the stuff people take from it is very personal to them. And what, like what I'm trying to say might not resonate and might not be helpful to the reader. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I like, I've been really grateful that I've had a lot of friends who've read my stuff and then they've started like they're like I used to write and now I'm going to start writing again and that makes me happy Mm -hmm. and people are I don't know I think people think that I'm like vulnerable by putting it out there but I just I just am not as concerned with I've learned to not be as concerned with how people receive it Mm -hmm. as they might be at the beginning of doing something like that Mm mm-hmm um there's a quote I read a while ago that I really liked it's something like we write we write from our scars not from our wounds so it kind of feels like yeah. it, it feels very very vulnerable to put it out because I suppose that you might put something out there that somebody is dealing with at the time whereas you've yeah. written you've written a poem about it because you understand it in retrospect and you're beyond that but somebody else is still there and perhaps they can't imagine themselves putting that out about themselves because they're still going through it um Maybe it's something like that. I agree. And everybody deals with trauma a little differently. Mm -hmm. Because I even, like, I've struggled with depression for a long time. And I still find myself sometimes when other depressed people say, sorry, I also struggle with empathy for the most part. But, like, other depressed people will say certain things and I want to be, like, just stop doing that but it's like that i'm being as unhelpful as everybody else yeah like i'm like you don't have to think that you don't have to do that just say nice things to yourself but it's like other people aren't in that space yeah whatever's going to help other people they all need a kind of individual strategy i remember vividly like when i was um i i taught english for a year in spain and i'd have to explain the same concept maybe three or four times until you see it click on everyone's face you know, you, you would explain it one yeah. way and then seven people would go, oh, and the other three, you'd have to work on a little bit longer. And then they go, oh, because they all have different kind of learning styles before it's going to click. Um, and I think mental illness is definitely one of those things as well. Like, I, I still don't understand what it means to love yourself. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't yeah. understand it at all. Um, I don't know, I know that it's... I know a lot yeah. of people like that. I mm-hmm. think I get it, but I also like, like, I can... I could make a list and I could tell you everything I hate about myself and everything that I love about myself. Cause I like the stuff I hate doesn't threaten the stuff I love, but I still get really, I don't know. I still get really down on myself. I think I love myself, Mm -hmm. but then, but I don't know. I think it comes with like being able to sit with the, with your flaws or sit with the parts that you hate them all. No. I think maybe it's, the expectation that it would feel somehow more more intense or more healing than it does to love somebody else whereas you know if you love somebody else you can still get irritated annoyed with them wish they were different sometimes I don't understand and so perhaps it should feel the same way to love yourself why would I it be different so. mm. and you have to live in your own head so it's like you have to listen to those thoughts or feelings constantly mm-hmm it's kind of 
it's the vivid awareness of like all the information you have and then the way you're choosing to act regardless and like it doesn't help i don't know it just it's the perhaps it's just the lucidity of living with your own stream of consciousness makes you feel like makes it makes you feel like the stakes are higher makes you feel like you know you yeah, shouldn't be like everyone else so. hmm. i think so i was telling my daughter um a couple of weeks ago that technically the only proof anyone has of anything is that they're having some kind of an experience but like we don't see we don't technically know that anything's real we just know we're experiencing something and so I was telling her, like, the only thing that really matters, like, you shouldn't be a jerk to other people, but the only thing that really matters in the end is being able to, like, live with yourself. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. She, I think, has, uh, she has a little bit of anxiety that she struggles with, especially as she's, like, getting a little older. And so we've been having a lot of these weird, deep talks about stuff like that lately. Hmm. Does that make you want to be kinder to yourself somehow? Um, only it, it does, but a big part of it is that like, I don't want my bad behaviors to seem normalized to her child mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want her to see me treat myself bad and then think like, that's just the way adults treat themselves, you know? Mm hmm. And then it was, it was the same with like my marriage. A big reason I wanted to get divorced was that I didn't want her to look at, at us and think that that's what a healthy relationship was. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a huge model in people's lives. I mean, people. And I think you know. children internalize that more than we realize. Oh, uh, I think enormously. So I think people are, are running on those automatic lessons without noticing throughout their entire lives um i think so too yeah it's i mean no matter what you do in life it's always going to be like your most intimate knowledge of what a relationship looks like and what's acceptable what's tolerable what you should demand of it um yeah, and it's your first in it's your first experience or interaction with that sort of relationship so it like sets a foundation mm-hmm yeah, yeah. It it's really the same does. with like how your parents interact with you. I think set a foundation for how you expect to be treated by the same sex or the opposite sex, you know? Mm -hmm. And how it's acceptable for you to act as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot about that stuff. I didn't really want to be a parent when I was younger. And so I think that I put a lot of thought into it because. I'm a little more disconnected than like people who just expect to be parents or who really want to. Mm -hmm. So how has it changed your behavior then? Are you, are, are you, you're just generally more conscious of if I do this, like I'm doing this as a parent and am I happy with my daughter knowing I'm doing X, Y, Z? Yeah, it, I do. I do that, but there's also some things where it's like, I do take a lot of time to myself to like to do my writing or to like go out with friends mm -hmm. or spend time away from her and I also like 
I also think that behavior is good because I think that if she, and maybe I'm just justifying it, but I think that if she decides she wants to be a parent one day, it's really important as like a woman to know that like, or as any person, but like to know that you don't have to like sacrifice yourself and your well-being just because you have a child. Like, I think that's actually worse for the child to see. Yeah, I'm just thinking it through. Yeah, it's complicated. Um... It's definitely complicated. I just like, I mean, I saw a lot of, I mean, I, you know, I had one mother who wouldn't give up anything for her children. And then I had my grandmother who like felt like she sacrificed everything. And Mm -hmm. it's like, neither of them were happy people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that having a family or having children should make you miserable or make you feel like you're not yourself anymore. And so it's like, I, I feel like I have a good balance of being a little bit selfish on my own behalf and also like sacrificing certain things and changing certain behaviors for her. Yeah. But she's also really easy. Like she's not a demanding child. And so it might be totally different for someone who has a very tightly wound kid, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know I'm never going to have more. Oh, really? I would never get a kid this good again. <laughs> the year she turns 18 is the year I'll turn 36. Mm-hmm. And that's still really young, yeah, I feel. Yeah. And so it's like, I can, ha- I mean, it's a whole second life almost. So I don't want to start over again now. I hated the newborn stuff. I just, yeah. So no me. <laughs> <laughs> so what comes next from you? Are you working on any other collections? Um, I am. I'm doing a second edition of Sad Discoveries with some more extra poems in it for Analog Submission Press. And I've been working on a collection for Nihilism Revised. That, oh, uh, nice. And Burke lives, like, in Utah as well, which is funny to me. Oh. But, um, yeah, I'm working on that. I'm trying to think of what else that's mostly what I've been focused on there's other stuff that comes up that I'm like I could do this but it's like I get I get too much on my plate mm-hmm. oh I'm doing a little I'm doing a little chapbook for iron lung press as well cool yeah so you got lots yeah. coming out mm-hmm. so it's been good I've had a lot of free time lately and so I've been trying to fill it with like more creative stuff mm-hmm. how about uh Horace Lee's Trash what's your involvement what are the goals what's coming next well I mostly work on the social media side mm-hmm. um but I know that like I mean we always publish stuff on the website but I know that we've been talking about doing more things with like chat books and like longer collections recently. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of where a direction we might head in. And I want to, with like the modeling and the cover goals and stuff, I want to branch out with other kind of local photographers around here Mm -hmm. so that the pictures have like a different look or a different feel, you know, like get some more variety and, 
work with some new girls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I would love to do interviews for HST at some point, but I like the written form, you know, Mm -hmm. I love just having conversations with people. So yeah, I'm really glad how this went because I what I did was I just wrote down the main kind of themes of your poetry and I thought we'd just bounce off of that with a conversation to expand upon, um, you know, the kind of topics that you deal with. So, I think yeah, it, yeah. I like that. Yeah, it worked nicely. So that was India Laplace, author most recently of Sad Discoveries, out now with Analog Submission Press. Sounds like there's a lot more from her coming out in the future, so she's one to watch. I hope you enjoyed our interview. As always, if you're a reader, writer, listener, anyone with anything to say, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all from me for now, so until next time, bye bye.